0: Welcome back to The Zero Hour, brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. I'm George Kamiti.
1: I'm Ashley Stone.
0: And today we have a very special guest. Her name is Merle Myri. She spoke to us from her home in Estonia. Ashley and I had the great pleasure of seeing her speak here in Charlottesville um, late last year.
1: She blew us away talking about the cross-shield cyber warfare exercises and the practical aspects of preparing for real life cyber warfare.
0: Yes. This lady walks the walk and talks the talk. She is a former director at the cybersecurity defense center of excellence for NATO. So she knows what she's talking about and we get into it with her new outfit. And we also talk about the multidimensional threat um, that social media poses both for information warfare and um, harder attacks on infrastructure. But Enough of me. Let's get to our guest and dive right in. Um, all right. So welcome to the Zero Hour podcast um, by Safeguard Cyber. Today we have with us Marla Maegri, the former director for the Cyber Defense Center of Excellence at NATO and current executive vice president of government relations at Cybexer. Welcome to the show. Hello. Um, Can you, let's start off with Cybexer, because I know that this is a a fairly new company, but it's leveraging a lot of your skills from your previous um, occupation, so can you tell us a little bit about the the work uh, that Cybexer is doing, and then specifically how you are working with governments?
2: Sure. So CyberServe Technology is a rapidly growing Estonian cybersecurity company that specializes in providing governments, international organizations and companies with a cybersecurity risk assessments. Uh, and um, uh, we are also building cyber ranges that enable sophisticated, large-scale cybersecurity exercises. We organize these exercises both at the technical level and these are aimed at CISOs and IT experts and sysadmins, the people who are really the ones responsible for the cybersecurity of our companies or governments or critical infrastructure um, entities. Or then we also do strategic level exercises for the C level and for the management.
0: Great. And uh, I should also mention, I have my manager here, Ashley Stone. She was at the, the talk that you gave earlier, so she may chime in with a question also.
2: Hello. <laughs> Hi. Great.
0: Um, great. So in the, as I understand it, the cyber ranges, is that sort of building the capacity to do like red team, blue team exercises with these in-house security teams for these corporations?
2: You are very correct. We organize, uh, we do small-scale capture-the-flag exercises, but our sort of uh, the flagship uh, exercises are the uh, red uh, red against blue exercises, and we also do red against red. So, and and these are all cyber range exercises, which basically means that in order to train um, the skills, your 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 true cybersecurity skills, you need to create a virtual game net because we can't just uh, train people who go along and would break everything in the real system so (laughs) we need need to create this virtual game net system and uh, within that we um, virtualize um, more or less everything in the office space we we create the game net by uh, developing um, dmz or the demilitarized zone which means which includes the webs, uh, web page the emails everything that's visible from the outside then we offer uh, the virtualization of the office network which is basically a copy or a virtualized mm-hmm. world of everything within um, within an office uh, printers um, uh, microsoft linux uh, everything um, on top of that in a game, in a virtual game, you need security network because that's that's always part of, of your everyday uh, cybersecurity. And so we need to virtualize those and, and very often, uh, fourthly, also special specialized systems. And then during an exercise, the red team provides the live fire element, whereas the blue team or more often blue teams um, several blue teams um, compete in a friendly, uh, competitive atmosphere against each other, um, putting their skills um, on test.
0: And those um, blue teams are comprised of internal security employees for your clients? <laughs>
2: Exactly. Okay. Uh, usually, uh, a client comes up with a uh, one client comes up with one team. That's logical. But for example, if a larger company, if we envisage a company that is dependent either on suppliers or or has some um, branches um, that they want to play along with, or just has a very good cooperation partner with whom is crucial that they train together to 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 perform as one team in a, in a form of a cyber IT um, security experts they can form teams uh, from multiple entities and and use these exercises to train together and learn to 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 train together and, and build a team build a team together
0: and that actually seems um very pertinent today, um, given that we've seen a lot of attacks on supply chains to get into networks. So a lot of state actors and criminal networks seem to be going after the supply chain to get into a company rather than trying to go through the company itself. I think the most, um, visible example of that in recent weeks was the attack on, uh, Visma, the Norwegian, um, internet security provider but they went through um a third-party application that that had um i think an api connection into visma's network
2: yeah that is these these types of attacks are growingly uh, unfortunately um on, on on a growing trend um there is visma that you mentioned uh, i've known an occasion where a company was targeted, and uh, the attackers couldn't get them directly. So they um, inserted an, uh, a virus into a famous, uh, into a popular Chinese takeout place where the company employers uh, used to order uh, lunch menus. <laughs> so oh, uh, I mean, there are there are really clever ways of getting at us, and and thereby, it's important to to try to stay resilient and to train. Uh, to train people. So, in, in these exercises, there are a couple of aspects. I think in, if, if approaching from the top down, the first and foremost is the philosophy of the leadership, the management, or the board, which uh, shouldn't regard cybersecurity as a, something that is siloed for the IT department, but rather cybersecurity risk. Um, Management has to be um, something that a company or a government adopts as a central issue. It should be regularly dis- discussed at board meetings uh, and there should be clarity about who is responsible. And when, when assessing the risks, one shouldn't just look at the risks at the technology, but it, it, one should assess risks to the business as a whole.
0: Yes, we talk about trying to use a team-based approach to create a culture of accountability because, for example, yeah. we work in social media and, and digital channels. And so there is still a lot of um, confusion at the board level as to whether you know social media is that a marketing channel that falls under the CMO. But if attacks are coming through social, does that responsibility get kicked over to the CISO's office? And that has not yet been decided at a lot of companies so um the only way to to do that is to educate the entire uh, organization about the levels of risk at their various channels
2: true and then different risks are different because there can can be times when an attack on a social media could result in something minor but there could be an an attack or or breach into getting the Security credentials uh, of 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 the management, uh, which could result in in leaks that could seriously damage the uh, the um, the whole company. Uh, so I mean, it it, it one one there there is no single approach to this, uh, but uh, but always yes. things depend on I suppose circumstances.
0: Yeah, and I so I see. I kind of understand the red team, blue team dynamic in a private enterprise because you're working kind of with a discrete security team and and capture the flag. I imagine you're you're kind of denoting, well, here's the asset that they're going to try and take and that may replicate um, the type of targets you see in the private enterprise. But since you're also working with governments, could you help us understand, you know, in a government, there are... Just, I mean, let's take the U.S. government, for example. There's Homeland Security. There's FBI. There are multiple agencies and organizations that are, quote, unquote, security focused. So how is it different trying to train government teams versus um, private corporate teams?
2: Yeah. Well, I would say that if the motivation is there, it's not much different. Uh, even the, this kind of training, the red team against blue team, and different blue teams um, competing against each other, but also at the same time learning more about each other, learning about each other's techniques, and uh, and at the end of the day after the exercise is doing a hot wash up altogether, this uh, improves the interagency cooperation altogether and is even more relevant, even more pertinent uh, in a government Case because uh, imagine be it Estonia or be it you, the United States at the end of the day at times a cyber crisis all these different agencies need to be working together so it's useful that they um, that they know and that they're comfortable with uh, each other and ultimately. The technical exercises and, more importantly, um, blending or integrating the technical exercises also with the strategic exercises is very useful to improve the interagency cooperation mechanisms and uh, can uh, everybody can learn uh, throughout the exercise.
0: Great. Um, I want to take a, a moment to step back a little um, into a more philosophical Realm. Um, it seems that the it feels like us here in the the West were kind of caught on the back foot as it relates to um, cybersecurity and kind of the cyberspace in general. So I think we were still thinking of cybersecurity in kind of these hard militarized terms, and it wasn't until like the wake-up call of Cambridge Analytica and the 2016 election interference that we recognized that, oh, it's not like a hard attack on a power grid necessarily. It can also just be a disinformation or a misinformation campaign. If you if you hack the minds basically of a population, it's actually considerably easier than maybe trying to hack a power grid or a nuclear power plant. And it feels like we might have been a little naive about that technology, at least more so than our adversaries who seem to recognize that information was the currency of the day. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. I think you're, you're right there that, um, um, This is uh, the weaponization of information. is about uh, cybersecurity, but not uh, only cybersecurity, because um, we are not really talking about hacking. It's not merely a military issue. Uh, Instrumentalizing social media platforms or weaponizing information. If we draw a parallel in um, in an airfield, in an air. the air, air world, I think if, if cyberspace would be airspace, then military operations are only a small subset of the overall much bigger civil traffic. And this is what we are seeing the civil traffic, the, uh, uh, the uh, hacking of our minds, as you, as you put it. Um, well, here in Estonia, we always have been very alert on what is cooking um, on our east and i've uh, I've been um within through different capacities um last year as you as you mentioned as as the head of the NATO cyber center of excellence, but further down the line also as many years serving as the Estonian national security advisor for the president have always been uh, one of my responsibilities is to carefully look and and uh, know what's what's going on in the military, in the thinking, in the military thinking, in the strategic thinking in Moscow. And that's why um, we in Estonia discovered early on how General Gerasimov, the chief of the Russian general staff, uh, observed that uh, for the Russians, war is conducted by a roughly... Four to one ratio and and of non-military to military measures. So uh, to four non-military measures, there is one military measure. And again, the um, the civil traffic versus military traffic applies. So um, here in Estonia, our information space has been tested and used as a test bed throughout uh, our independence since 1991. So this is nothing new. But of course, the way um, Russians are playing with the algorithms and um, building the troll factories in St. Petersburg is, um, is, is concerning. And the way they use the playground of social media to insert fake news uh, is poisoning to the Western society, where we are bound by uh, freedom of the word, freedom of the internet, and um, and we can't just um, um, we have some limits.
0: Right, and I I appreciate I really appreciate the airspace analogy. I think that's a good one to think about. If you were to look up in the sky, what percentage is civil traffic versus military traffic?
1: Yeah. So what what does the intersection of cyber attack training exercises and disinformation campaigns look like? How do they work in tandem?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So during the cyber technical cyber exercises, usually the way we do is that the um, the exercise get going gets going by um, more technical red team live fire attacks, uh, and and we we train for the first half of the first day the technical team, but it's not just their technical skills that are put on uh, or that are are. The, at the focus of the training. But in addition to that, they have to report, they have to write incident reports and situational reports and report higher up to the uh, leadership. So, um, as the events have uh, escalated a little, we bring in the strategic level, um, be it the C-suite, the, the management board, or for the government setting. Um, and say undersecretary level or political staffers level, and they gather in a different room. They have fed the uh, situation reports, and they also get inserts by news um, by news media. And what is trained? Uh, uh, what the focus of their training is uh, their decision making procedure, and in that decision making procedure, the the inserts they get. Are mixed and some of them are fake news. So they have to it's it's a lifelike situation where they have to differentiate and and check what is the source of information and what what kind of um, reports uh, where are the reports coming what is the source of, of these reports um, and when um, it is an interaction with the news media, whether and sometimes there is um, there is fake news out there and you have to they have to differentiate and uh, uh, which is not easy but uh, and 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 interact
0: how, how are they um trained to differentiate is that I imagine going into an exercise they may not have that much experience um, is that training provided or are you trying to actually throw them into the deep into the pool and get them to learn on the spot?
2: Right. Well, it really depends on the different target groups because you can imagine if the target group is ministers, they don't have that much time. So um, strategic exercises at the level of uh, of ambassadors or ministers usually last uh, for an hour, hour and a half, and there is no much room for prior training. They are more mm-hmm. or less thrown into the water and they have to – sort of swim and, and it is the engaging experience uh, they each have a laptop they they see the situation they have to react the reaction time is fairly fairly short um, a minute minute and a half and amongst multiple answers they pick one which is projected on the wall and they the they see how their colleagues it is, if it is for example uh, format of of NATO ministers or EU ministers, they see how everybody else reacts, and that is the learning curve that they get to compare their thinking with their with that of their peers. Now, if we have a, a lower level of experts, uh, experts who have a whole day uh, to spend with us, we can of course first go through um, some more informative training, where we discuss uh, the specific ways of uh, how dis- disinformation uh, works uh, how uh, the typical offensive strategy against the target population might look like we go through different several steps and we discuss uh, ways to uh, to build a defense strategy um, against it uh, first and then test the the uh, the the uh, test what's what 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 what's what was ticking sort of or like how much people remembered of the talk of the lecture through through this interactive um, strategy game where they get to choose the answers and then in between different answering sessions there yeah there is more time to discuss there is more time to ask questions and there's more time to Draw conclusions. So it all depends really on uh, on how much time people have to spend with us.
0: Great, yeah. I think we've seen some clients and prospects in other countries that are, in fact, power utilities. Um, They're under strict rules about uh, retaining and archiving their communications, and they use social media largely to, you know, either communicate news items, but they have seen incidents where they are either facing harder cyber attacks where somebody is trying to get into control systems but they have also seen um, attempts to spread misinformation about for example the water supply or power outages or you know whatever fringe conspiracy theory and you and i had discussed this when you were uh, here in the states that sometimes it's not necessary to do the heart attack, if you just convince everyone that the water supply is poisoned, then you can create the sort of panic that um, is more expensive to create with an armed attack.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and or another uh, example that resonates strongly, I believe, currently in the States as well as, as here in Europe, uh, where news uh, or research has discovered how the troll factory from Russia has um, has played upon the cleavages in the society that uh, and and played on the emotions of the of the groups of people who don't believe in vaccination and uh, and yeah and that's, 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 that's particularly
0: infuriating
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> that's yeah but that's that's the trick like where uh where you like each society has its own vulnerabilities yes. and uh, they the, that's how infuriating exactly how they cleverly play upon the existing some existing um gaps or 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 minor mm, Conflicts or dissonance, dissonance in the society, and they they rip them more apart. And it's important thereby to be able to to recognize that early on. But of course, also to address our own um, vulnerabilities and to build resilience. Um, and and in that sense, it's also while useful to exchange best practices amongst ourselves, I'm talking of the like-minded countries in the West here, but also recognize that the culture and history of each country is unique, and therefore and the success of any defense strategy must be tailored to the local institutions and, and populations, whereby um, effective strategies are likely to be those that are developed and managed on a country-by-country basis, with including various... Um, Experts working in computer science, engineering, social science, but also marketing, public policy and why not psychology and and doctors in the case of vaccination, because, well, you have the measles outbreak, but there are also uh, the same, well, babies who get measles in Estonia and it's been recently on the increase uh, also here in Estonia, which is very concerning to everybody who has kids.
0: Yes. And I think um, to your point about divisions in our own research, we've been able to see how, you know, Twitter bots, uh, Russian Twitter bots will go like whole groups will go kind of dormant and they'll do kind of enough low level activity, but they're sort of called up and classified according to category. So they have been obviously created to look like real people. So for example, you might see the bots that are designed to look more like mothers get activated when it's this campaign about vaccinations versus the bots that are designed to maybe look more like single men tend to weigh in on more political issues but they they have their unique uh bot tribes as it were this is sort of a very poor analogy because they're all fake but <laughs> they are created in these groups of people so that when they do take to social media that they look like they are more credible.
1: Right. And they activate on trending topics and hit on both sides of the issue to further the divide rather than picking a side.
0: Yeah. They'll just hit it both times. So we've also, so we I'll double back to um, social media as an attack vector. So we've, you were talking about the potential not only for misinformation, but to use social media to maybe target, um, C-level individuals to try and steal credentials that that they could then leverage further into the network. We've also seen a rise in the incidence of what appear to be nation states. Attribution is is hard, Um, but they're using social engineering to gain access into company networks. So I can think of a few weeks ago, North Korea uh, used a LinkedIn ad to get a sort of mid-level cybersecurity person at Red Bank, which is essentially the Software that runs the ATM network in Chile. And through a series of fake um, job interviews, got them to download an application um, PDF loader, which was, of course, infected with malware. Uh, we saw Operation Sharpshooter last year, which was also using LinkedIn to hit people at a professional level, people who were maybe they all had to download something that then pulls in a second payload. So I was just uh, curious as to. In your um, cyber range exercises, have you seen uh, either this use case or do the cyber range exercises begin to um, change in order to mirror real world situations? Like if if we see more social engineering attacks, will cyber exercises go in that direction or just just wanted to understand how you fold current events into your uh, company's work?
2: Oh yeah, we 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 do that, and the red team uh, of our technical cyber exercises updates uh, its techniques uh, accordingly um, regarding the attacks and and the breaches that happen through the phishing attacks uh, that you mentioned, the LinkedIn uh, and other social media uh, platforms. Um, when speaking about that. I think it's important well, what what, how for me this connects with something very basic that is useful uh, and that is cyber hygiene. Uh, this is this should be the first base where we build the house of our cybersecurity. We all we if we start building a house, it should all start from a solid foundation. And cyber hygiene in that sense is uh is, is that foundation. And um, before launching into the more sophisticated and uh, high-end technical cyber exercises, it is very useful to map either at the company or in the country the risk-related behavior of each individual user in cyberspace so that we know uh, exactly what are the vulnerabilities of a given organization. Where exactly um, is it that their people um, have um, some gaps in understanding on in, or in their risk behavior and then design their first response accordingly. Um, and here I'd like to draw attention to an, to another um, experience that cyber technologies has um, has developed together in close cooperation with the Estonian state information authority which in Estonia is a state office responsible for the security and integrity of the Estonian online services and this cyber hygiene online test um, what is special about it is that it uh, approaches individual um, behavior in its entirety it it covers not only the technical aspects but also the non-technical aspects it starts from the personality uh, tests uh, one's attitude and discipline towards uh, behavior in cyberspace uh, then goes on about um, mapping the knowledge uh, how much each individual knows about the risks linked to removal media, to the portable devices, and to the social media and email. But social media, as we speak, there is is just one part of the whole. Uh, you then cover how much you expose yourself to the outer world, but also finally test what the corporate culture is and whether the um, what's the information management. Um, policy in your corporation in your in your enterprise or in your government agency uh, as well as the shortcuts uh, for the management and and when this holistic map um, is is drawn it is easy to see what are the uh, where where are the resp- vulnerabilities because in a in a cyber hygiene regular test one might get um, 85 percent points out of 100 and feel good but we wouldn't or you wouldn't address those 15 points that where you fail
0: right right which is all it takes really it doesn't matter if you're 90 percent safe right if, if yes
2: you- and 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 uh so i um uh, that, that could be the first step and that um as a result a map that is drawn could indicate for the management who needs to adopt decisions what exactly uh, are the areas that need more attention and sometimes it is about more exercises sometimes it's about a little bit more um, campaign, um, just a regular awareness campaign about not using your USB sticks or right, right. about <laughs> the corporate culture about the social media platforms and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it's... sometimes it's about the management themselves who has to uh, look at the mirror and say that when everything else is correct but when when everybody else for example has perfect discipline but if it's the minister or the management who walks around with iPads um, and or smartphones and they get uh, to access everything without um, uh, security measures um, it beats the purpose
0: or if they have a really good key code like 0000 <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
2: or a great password like cat and 100, yeah. 100. <laughs> yes
0: yeah and that's that's good to note yeah i think you know the scale of the problem with some of these channels is just staggering if you're a corporation that has a hundred thousand employees and then you assume safely that each one maintains maybe three social media platforms and or uses an unsecured collaboration platform like slack you know it just it it seems mind-boggling like how quickly the the attack surface grows Um, but i think yes starting with the human behavior um because here at safeguard cyber we we try not to cower in fear, we say without fear, because you 're not turning the clock back on these technologies. The truth is that many of these companies need to use the technology, and it 's just about doing so safely. I think the head in the sand is is never the best approach
2: oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely I mean we can 't um we there is no way to go back to pen and paper um, <laughs> as I, as romantic I mean, as that I, might be. <laughs> It's it's not even safer. I mean, especially I get into these conversations when I talk to people who are responsible for election security and they say... I recently had this conversation with someone who, who was um, um, talking about the elections in Ukraine and we were discussing how, um, how vulnerable that is. And I was told, well, they don't have an eye voting. Um, they obviously don't have... Uh, uh, um, sophisticated uh, mm, online technology and I was like well still at the counting of votes uh, from from far end regions and then sending them off to the central election committee that goes on uh, over um, by using the IT technology and at the end of the day you have people saying well I, yeah, this this thing works very rigidly. This is analog, um, and you say how? But how do you how do you communicate? Well, I press enter on the on the computer screen. <laughs> right, <laughs>
0: right. And and to be fair, I mean here in our own backyard in North Carolina's ninth congressional district, that we now have people who have admitted collecting absentee ballots and filling out the form, you know, so it doesn't matter if it's paper, if you cheat the uh, results, it's still um, a record. Um, Yeah, so that's, uh, that's very interesting.
1: Yeah, so when we're talking about cyberspace, uh, it's not governed by a set of laws that can be truly enforced by one body, much like international law. How have you seen rules and norms shape the cyber landscape over the past few years?
2: Well, at the end of the day, it's yes, uh, it is uh, first and foremost important to insert that um, uh, cyberspace is an integral part of the rules-based international order, um, that uh, the best guarantee uh, for a future with an open, free, and stable internet is a common understanding about, among nations, and hopefully all nations, that the current rulebook for state behavior also applies in cyberspace. Um, there in that in that end, and in that regard, speaking from the level of international law. Um, there is no need to develop a new framework of international law for the digital aid, but the existing international law norms and uh, principles uh, should apply. But of course, the question is um, before us. Uh, the question before us is, of course, how exactly do they apply? And um, one place to look for advice is. Um, a comprehensive guide uh, put out by the NATO Cooperative Cyber Defense Center of Excellence, um, lawyers and international experts called Tallinn Manual, which is a study examining how international law uh, governs the use of cyber force by states, uh, both during an armed conflict but also during peacetime. Uh, this is the first document that really addresses these questions in a comprehensive manner. Um, but it can only remain a set of recommendations and interpretations because at the end of the day, each state makes their own conclusions and uh, through case, uh, cases practices their own customary international law. Uh, However, um, it's not myself doing the product placement here, but um, the Dutch foreign minister, for example, recently um, advertised um, the Tallinn Manual um, saying how it provides a framework for international law guiding state behavior in cyber conflicts, uh, how it it really offers a roadmap uh, about how to hold states accountable because um, when we think of any recent collective attribution of different cyber attacks, be it the attribution conducted um, last December by the UK, uh, the US and a bunch of countries vis-à-vis uh, attributing APT-10 to China, mm-hmm. or then further down the line, uh, last year in February, um, attribution of North Peter to Russia. Or, or then um, attribution of uh, monocry to North Korea, it it always is about holding states responsible. And and uh, manual is a place to look for answers uh, and a good starting point. It yeah. doesn't provide all the answers. But it's, um, it's a place for the states to start their own interpretive jo- journey. And, and each state has to do their own interpretation here.
0: Yes, and we have seen some success in, if you try to translate, uh, what I don't know what we're going to call it, analog diplomatic efforts. Yeah, yeah. Because um, in 2015, when the Obama administration basically told China behind doors, we know what you've been doing cut it out. We saw a decrease in those um, attacks. And then we also saw a decrease in cyber espionage from Iran with the signing of the nuclear agreement. So in some ways, these attacks, well, I think we know China's is, is um, a function of their five year plans. But in other ways, it's sort of natural that states without the conventional military wherewithal to do any sort of threatening or what have you would take to cyberspace as kind of a form of asymmetrical warfare, right? If you're going to, uh, scrap this agreement, then we will use cyberspace to get at your technology or, or just disrupt your daily life.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's where it starts. Um, the, this, um, agreements between states and also what uh, state leadership says because what 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 politicians actually say about their understanding of international law is what matters a great deal and and here uh, one shouldn't underestimate the importance of uh, of speeches made of uh, strategic documents being drawn um, and statements uh, being being made, because if uh, states develop clear positions and positions about when they are ready to cross over the use of force or the armed attack threshold, uh, it should signal uh, hopefully more clarity about y- when when uh, the red line is being crossed.
0: Yeah. Well, um we can sort of wrap up the general cyber discussion, but I did want to um back into uh a more personal question, which is just to ask how did you get started uh in the cyberspace of all the the paths that you could have chosen? Um, you know, did you get your start in computer science, or where were we? All seem to have a different story of how we got into this space. So, we're just curious <laughs> as to as to how yeah, you well, ended up where you did.
2: My approach to cybersecurity is coming from the strategic end, actually, because I, um, uh, well, for me, uh, looking at cybersecurity um, over the past uh, six, seven years has been first through the lens of national security, as I. I worked uh, at the NATO headquarters with NATO section Rasmussen, uh, looking at the uh, how collective security decisions are being made. And then cyber was part of the portfolio of mine, along with other hard security issues. Uh, then later I moved back to Estonia and worked with the Estonian president, uh, Thomas Silvas, and he's very well versed about cybersecurity. And it mostly was through work with him, that I growingly started paying attention to the cyber threats and cybersecurity issues along the national security matters in general. It was because President Ilves was concerned about these matters um, that uh, I, as his uh, security advisor, had to uh design come up with uh, relevant meetings and uh design relevant responses to his questions and that's how I slowly but surely got sucked into the matter
0: all right and then um we'll end with a variation on a question that we typically ask our guests because cybersecurity can seem pretty dire on a day-to-day basis so um I think we'll, today we'll we won't cover off on fear. I think we've we've probably um, discussed that enough. But given where you are, given what you see and the threats that you understand, which I understand from my own family experience, is well beyond the capacity of most lay people to understand. Um, what still gives you the most hope? You know, as someone on the front lines of cybersecurity, what is Still inspiring you and, and helping you sleep at night rather than keeping <laughs> you up
2: uh, well the the hope uh, that people do learn and uh, the um, life in Estonia more generally which is um, you know, which is greatly made easier and better through various online services uh, it is uh, reassuring to see how the community. Of a cyber security, um, the cyber defenders, so to speak, work together from both the private sector and the state sector. Uh, people trust each other, and uh, it's this understanding that when uh, things get tough, uh, we all put we all work together um, to uh, to. Um, maintain to build resilience and, uh, to, we fight for the freedom. <laughs> so, um, so this, uh, this experience of having seen that, um, is what makes me, um, uh, calm and confident that, uh, w- at the end of the day, um, the good, the good guys win.
0: Right on. <laughs> um, Okay. Great. Are we calling you in Tallinn? Are you in Tallinn right now?
2: I am in Tallinn right now, yes. Okay.
0: Well, we will let you get on with your afternoon. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time. I certainly hope our our paths cross again. I'm not in Estonia often, but hopefully uh, we can find a place in the middle, maybe in Europe somewhere. Um, But thank you again very much for taking the time to speak with us.
2: Well, thank you very much for for giving me an opportunity to to speak and share my thoughts with you.
0: All right, thank you. you. Wow. I mean, I would second that. She is just um, amazingly articulate um, about these very complex issues, and, and brings to bear just a phenomenal amount of experience that um, some of us could only hope to accrue uh in a single career um i hope you enjoyed that uh the news that we are following this week includes a very recently released uh report from our friends at mcafee on data loss
1: yes the report finds that the top three vectors for exfiltrating data are database leaks cloud applications, and removable USB drives.
0: Yes, of course. We deal primarily with the cloud applications um, aspect of that and we have lately had a lot of clients coming to us about data loss uh, through channels like Slack but also through other um, web-based things uh, which we maintain include social networks uh, such as uh, LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, Speaking of the big FB, uh, (laughs) another story we're following is, of course, the announcement that Facebook is anticipating and preparing for a fine from the FTC as a result of the Cambridge Analytica uh debacle and its violation of a twenty eleven consent degree with the FTC. The numbers that have been touted include um anywhere between three point five to five billion dollars, and that is a sizable fee
1: yeah, that's no joke.
0: But many are arguing that that fee is a pittance to um, a giant like Facebook and that it will not do anything to curb behavior or to sufficiently um, sanction the company. In fact, uh, Professor Shiva Vadyanathan, who teaches here at the University of Virginia, has an op-ed in The Guardian this week um, and talks about how regulating Facebook will be one of the most difficult and challenging uh, problem solving opportunities in recent times because you know the the way the tool is used where it is effectively the internet in smaller countries such as Sri Lanka versus how it is used here is completely different, and that we need a new framework to think about regulating um, a new technology rather than applying old sanctions, old regimes to this new tech. It just doesn't uh, translate well worth the read it's in the guardian this week um and then if you stay tuned we have a bonus mini episode a 10-minute conversation with our own intern Anjali Chauhan
1: yes our amazing intern sat down with us for 10 minutes to tell us about what it's like to work here at Safeguard Cyber and what we talk about on a day-to-day basis so stay tuned it's really great conversation
0: And if you are a future employer and you're listening to this, you should hire her. That is all. Stay safe. (laughs) All right. So a bonus edition of the Zero Hour podcast with our own intern. Give us your name. Anjali. All right. So Anjali has been working behind the scenes for the last few months. Um, If you've encountered any fire tweets, those are her doing. Um, So we're just going to have a little sit down, understand what she's gotten out of the internship. We know what we've gotten out of it. Um, So why don't we start with Anjali, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you go to school, what you're studying, etc.
3: Okay. So I am a third year student at the University of Virginia School of Commerce. Um, I am double majoring in marketing and management and double minoring in digital media advertising and entrepreneurship. Um, My favorite hobby is dancing. I love Salsa Club, and I am part of two student councils.
0: Overachiever. Classic. so
3: you sound like you're bored a lot. Sometimes.
0: Lots of (laughs) downtime.
1: That's great. So... Can you tell us what types of applications, digital channels do you use as a student?
3: Um, So in regards to social media, I usually use the basic Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, But if you were to think about it from more of like an organizational perspective, definitely use GroupMe and Slack. And then WhatsApp I just use to um, keep in contact with family overseas.
1: How do you guys use Slack? Do you use it like a chat with a friend group or is it something you use in classes?
3: Um, So for in classes, we use GroupMe. Um, We use Slack for um, HackSevo, which is like an on-grounds organization. We use it both for the leadership team and then just like the overall like 300-person like group chat.
0: Yes. And for those of you not from Charlottesville or familiar with it, UVA refers to its campus as Grounds Just going to add that as a parenthetical. (laughs) Um, Okay, so now that you use all these apps and you've spent time here at a cybersecurity organization, has that changed your thinking about how you use those apps?
3: I'm definitely more cautious on how I use it and what I say over them, but not particularly because we don't really use like high security data and like exchange information that's like under wraps over those um, collaboration tools. But if I were in a business, I know now how to be cautious and not to use those just free fall.
0: Yes. And then how do you, um, do you and your peers talk about cybersecurity in the school of commerce curriculum? Has that come up as an issue either in classes or business case studies?
3: Not particularly because I'm doing more of like the marketing and management side of things. Um, But if I were to do the IT concentration, which is like the major, um, then it would be more centered uh, as a teaching um, objective.
0: Great. I would uh, challenge the UVA School of Commerce (laughs) folks to maybe rethink that curriculum as inadvertently reinforcing the silos that we see in the world today. So it's It's you want to, uh, build a new generation of leaders, not simply reinforce some of the mistakes that we're seeing presently, because as Ashley and I know, marketing is the front line of brand defense, for example, um, they're often the owners of social media channels. So um you can take that back <laughs> to the <laughs> <All right. laughs> school and give them that feedback.
1: Yeah. And a lot of what we've seen talking with other leaders in the space is there's a big education gap around how cybersecurity affects the day to day people using these tools. Mm-hmm. All right. So what's it like to be an intern at Safeguard Cyber?
3: Honestly, it's much different than I thought. Um, Ooh,
0: tell us what you thought it was going to be first.
3: <laughs> Honestly, from what I've heard, the cybersecurity industry is a little a little bit more rigid and more structured in a bad way. That's what I've heard. Of course, there's no backing to that, but um, working here, I've found that I'm able to kind of take on what I want to take on and learn. Um, And you guys are more open and honest and adaptable to what I want to do versus like you have to do this, this is how you do it. And more of like a to the point, I think it's more um, open, free range and leaves a lot of room to grow.
0: Yeah, spoiler alert, you get more out of your interns if they want to be (laughs) here. (laughs) Yes. Yes. <laughs> um cool. All right. So let's talk about uh what have you learned in your time here? That can include uh cybersecurity specifics. It could also include anything that falls within your remit of marketing. Um and then talk a little bit about what you want to do next or what you want to learn next.
3: So overarching, I think one thing that I've learned is a little bit more about the industry itself. Um I wouldn't have said that I was well I wouldn't say that I'm well versed in the cybersecurity industry but um at least I have a little bit more of an understanding so if I were to engage in a conversation I can at least like know the words that people are talking about um and then kind of understanding the importance of it especially in an in in an industry that's male heavy Mm -hmm. um being a female it's good to like be able to understand that and um, kind of figure out where, like me, me as an individual, or like me as a part of like the female, like gender, can change that stereotype.
0: Yes, actually, there was a recent study, and uh, it's going to be a poor citation here because it was a headline that I saw, but it was coming across multiple news sites um, that I saw, which is that uh, women are taking up C-suite and or CISO positions at a faster clip than men are currently. Um, I'd like to dig into that more. I didn't get to click on that headline, but that while there, there's sort of like these competing forces, there is a shortage of skills sort of at the bottom, but at the leadership level, women are um, making, I won't say up for lost ground, but they are making greater strides in 2019 than they have been traditionally in the past.
1: I definitely want to read that. <laughs>
0: yeah. um, okay, so you uh, are wrapping up your internship here. What's next? Clearly heading into the summer. Any future plans? Does not have to be marketing or cybersecurity related. <laughs> Human interest time.
3: Um, actually, I have a couple um, summer internship offers lined up. Um they're more in the consulting I see that you're bored again <laughs> they they're more in the consulting space just to just for me to try it out um but over the summer, I'm hoping to take a trip, you know, just relax a little bit. what kind of trip <laughs> um so my family has a couple of weddings coming up, one in Greece and one in Italy, so I'll just go visit you know have fun oh
0: well, those sound like. Those sound like great weddings.
3: Yeah, that sounds horrible.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know, It's just so like so rough being a college student <laughs> and not working yes. during large portions of
3: the year. Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> um, okay. If we're thinking like long term, what I want to end up doing after graduating, I want to work at a Fortune 50 company. Most probably in the marketing sphere. That's right.
0: Set your sights high.
3: Um, And then after working there for a couple of years, I want to start my own advertising agency.
0: There you go. Well, hopefully you have learned some of the skills necessary to get that off the ground operationally.
3: Yes, I have. Oh my gosh. I've learned so much here. So much more than I've learned in other internships. Um, And it's definitely something that I can use. I've actually used a couple of things that I've learned here in the classroom and I've like talked about things like how to use HubSpot and how like paid social works. And people are like, wow, you actually know things that you learn from your internship and not just go there to just do some work.
0: That's right. Shameless plug. When we advertise internships, we mean it.
3: Yes. Yes. <laughs> we are fun.
0: Um, cool. Well, it has been great to have you. Thank you for taking the time out of the schedule that we set for you. Thank to come <laughs> in and talk about your experience here uh, we wish you the very best and uh, you get only glowing recommendations from me
1: same, we've enjoyed having you Oh, thank
3: you I've had so much fun here, thank you
0: well, we are really going to miss Anjali
1: yes, I'm thankful for the time we had with her
0: And if you have liked what you've heard, uh, give us a like, subscribe, leave us some feedback, um, let us know, and we will incorporate your feedback. Until next time, stay safe. This is The Zero Hour, signing off.